Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. So I'm in Ephesians 6. I'm going to start in verse 18, and I am going to finish the book of Ephesians today. It, it was in August when I started, and it's not even going to be November before I get done. So that's pretty, pretty good, the last, four cha- or last three chapters. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. We'll, uh, we'll be through the next couple of months. I'll, I'll focus the four Sundays before Christmas on the Advent season, and we'll be preparing our hearts to celebrate Christmas. Before that, I'm going to talk for a couple of weeks about Thanksgiving and giving thanks and preparing our hearts to give thanks and what it means to give thanks even when we don't necessarily feel like giving thanks because I think this year has been hard. And so it might be a good year to, to just reflect on, on giving thanks even, even in the midst of difficulty. And then that'll pretty much be, be uh, the rest of the year. Pastor Bill will be here uh, next Sunday while I'm away at men's retreat and uh, I'll miss one other Sunday. I think Pastor Becca is going to preach that Sunday in November to be away with my wife for a marriage retreat because we want to invest in our marriage and uh, you should too. And so we're going to be doing that in November. So that's, that's my plan. I have a plan. Doesn't it make you just feel good to know that I have a plan? Uh, I'm not just shooting from the hip here. I didn't just come up this morning and say, "Eh, maybe Ephesians 6, we'll go with that. So here we go, Ephesians 6. Have you ever done anything where where you think you were about to get done with something and then you realize that you had a lot further to go? Have you ever like started a project and you get like done with one step and you think, okay, that's like the majority of it and I just have to clean up and then you realize, oh no, there was way more, way more to do with that project. Or we were, we were just at Yellowstone. We went there uh, for our fall break and we, we would hike around a little bit and you would get to where you were going and then you would realize you have to go back. Your vehicle didn't magically... Uh, get to get to the beautiful viewpoint that you were hiking to all that time, so you had to go back. This is this is a truism. I've done a, a fair amount of mountain climbing over the last handful of years, and it's a truism in mountain climbing that in climbing the the goal is never to get to the summit. The summit is only halfway there because the goal is to get home. Right? The goal is to get home and have a great story to share, hopefully. And so the summit. You may think that you've reached, you know, ah, you can relax and, and you've, you've accomplished your mission once you've reached the summit of a mountain, but in actuality, you're only halfway there and you have to continue to be careful. And a lot of accidents in climbing happen on the way back down. More accidents happen on the way down on, than on the way up because on the way down, the adrenaline has worn off a little bit and you get tired and you get kind of lazy, like you've already done this before, right? You've been over this ground before, and so, well, why should it matter? I'll, uh, I'll, we'll, just, we'll just go over this, no problem. In fact, the scaredest I've ever been on a mountain was on the descent. Um, it, it's, uh, my buddy and I, we climbed Little Tahoma. It's the little sub-peak off of the side of Mount Rainier, and it happens to be the third highest mountain in Washington. But it doesn't look very impressive because it's right next to Mount Rainier, which is huge. And then Little Tahoma, it's just this little, little. 
And uh, so we, we were climbing up, and we were pretty scared because it's steep snow, and then it goes from steep snow to loose rock. And it's like, if you can imagine, like, salad plate-sized flat pieces of rock that every time you step on them, they, like, slide down a little bit. And so it was that, and they're sharp. And so if you, if you kick one off on your partner accidentally, you don't know what, if he's going to survive. And it's, it, was, uh, it was scary. And so we got to the top. We summited. Mission accomplished, right, baby? Yeah. And then we started down, and we got to the, to the steep snow, and we both fell on the steep snow. And we were really high up on the steep snow. Like, we took a step onto the steep snow and both immediately fell. And we caught ourselves. My partner was a little bit injured in the fall. And uh, I was able to apply first aid and get him going, get him on his feet. But then we had a lot of steep, steep snow after that to get down. And we were really scared. Like, every step was, was place the step, make sure it's not going to slide, and... And all the way down. And it became the longest, slowest part of the entire trip because, because we still had to get home safely. Just because we had summited the mountain didn't mean that we had accomplished the goal because little Tahoma was not worth not, worth not getting home safely. <laughs> we, we needed to get home safely. And so we did. Praise God. And uh, I want to go do it again. I think I could do it in better style this time. So we'll see. So anyway, three weeks ago, Pastor Monty was here and spoke about the armor of God. He, he took Ephesians verses 10 through 17, and he talked about the armor of God. He, did, he, he really helpfully unpacked the armor of God, every, every element of it. And, and he talked about the idea that the armor of God starts with... with Paul telling us our enemy is not flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in, in the dark realm. And he, he highlighted, I think this is really important for us to hear in the church, I think it's really important word for us today, that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is not the people we disagree with politically. The enemy is not the people who, who would tell us to raise our children differently. The enemy is not... Uh, people who disagree with us about social issues. Our enemy, the one who is against us, is the accuser, the one who would try to get us to believe a lie instead of the truth about Jesus, the one who would try to make the truth about Jesus look like a lie in our eyes. That is the, our enemy. Our enemy is, is the one who would try to make right look wrong and wrong look right. And, and that is the, the enemy of our soul. Our enemy is not another human person. And so Paul turns from talking about the armor of God and how we are to stand against this spiritual enemy, this enemy that is trying to get us to believe a lie instead of truth. He talks about all of these elements of the armor. And, and then he, in verse 17, he wraps up, he talks about the helmet of salvation, he talks about the sword of the Spirit, and, and Pastor Monty brought his saber in, if you were here that day. Oh, he didn't bring it in. Oh, my goodness. Pastor Monty is going to bring his saber in two weeks so I can see it. Uh, and uh, he's going to show it to us. And he, he uh, talked about the, the, the sword of the Spirit. And then in verse 18, Paul 
sort of changes gears. And all of a sudden, instead of talking about armor, he's talking about prayer. And, and he goes into to talking about prayer. But we have to remember that he hasn't actually finished talking about the battle when he starts talking about prayer. And so I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. I'm going to read through the end of the book here. And, and then we'll go back and walk through this kind of verse by verse. So in verse 18, the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 18, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be uh, persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain the mystery, mysterious plan of God. God, or, sorry, mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Verse 21, to bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I am doing and how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Verse 23, peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we, we begin looking at this passage back in verse 18. Paul gives this instruction. He begins, coming out of the armor of God, he says, pray in the Spirit at all times. When I first looked at this passage, that phrase really jumped off the page to me. Pray in the Spirit at all times. And really, I, as, as we read this passage in context, we realize that Paul has just talked about the one element of the armor that talks about the Spirit as well. Notice that this, the sword of the Spirit is right before this, right? Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is where, where Pastor Monty also did a great job talking about our need to be, to be capable of using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to be able to, to understand, to know, and to be familiar with the Word of God so that we can use it. And then Paul says immediately after that, take up the sword of the Spirit and then pray in the Spirit at all times, he says. And so I think that there must be some relationship here between the idea of the sword of the Spirit being this, the Word of God, this thing that we take up and use in, in our defense and in, in our protection, in our ability to stand firm, but also then pray in the spirit of all times Me, means that we, we ought to also use prayer in the same way, that it is part of this armor that God has given us in order to help us to stand firm. And so Paul says, uh, pray in the spirit at all times. Now, I, uh, I, I think one way that we could interpret this is if, this if the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and we're to pray in the Spirit, that somehow we are also to be, be praying the Word. And I think that that's a, actually very, a very uh, important Christian practice, to pray through the Word of God, to use the Word of God as, as a prayer tool. 
But Paul doesn't really make that connection in, in verse 18. He doesn't say, and remember, the, the Spirit and the Word of God go hand in hand. He doesn't say that. He just says, pray in the Spirit. I think he's still talking about how we stand firm, but I, I think he's talking about a way of praying. He is saying, pray in the Spirit at all times. And so, what does it mean? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? This is, uh, this is an interesting concept. And I have, I have some pretty strong opinions about this, actually, as it turns out. Uh, I don't have strong opinions about everything, but I have some strong opinions about this one. This and the Seahawks and Russell Wilson's finger. Um, this, is, this is a stronger opinion, even, than... Uh, anyway. Uh, praying in the Spirit, I believe, is, is allowing the Holy Spirit to be at work in us to show us how to pray. That the, the Holy Spirit would, would pray through us. That we, we can experience the Holy Spirit in a way that, that the Spirit prays. Notice it, it's a capital S in, in your Bible here. Pray in the Spirit is, Paul is talking about praying in the Holy Spirit. He's not necessarily talking about praying in our own spirit. He's talking about praying in the Spirit. And so Paul calls us to pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in us. And let me tell you that I don't believe this is entry-level prayer. And maybe, maybe Sunday morning's not like the, the best place to talk about this, because I think we talk mostly about entry-level stuff on Sunday morning. This morning's sermon talking about the prayer in the Spirit, this is not entry-level. This is not entry-level Christianity. This is not entry-level prayer. This is not entry-level spiritual discipline. This is, this is like, this takes you up to middle management. Uh, this, is, this is not beginning Christianity 101. This is, this is 202 at least. And, uh, and, the, and, and I think the first hurdle that we have to get over in praying in the Spirit is to just to believe that it is possible. And so I'm going to make an argument that it is possible, that the Spirit could pray, that we could pray in the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit could pray through us and in us, and that, that we, could, we could allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. So I'm going to take you to two passages in Scripture that I believe t teach us about prayer in the Spirit. The first passage that I'll take you to is James chapter 4, verse 8. James chapter 4, verse 8, it's a, it's a common passage, maybe you probably know it, it says, uh, come near to God, and God will draw near to you. Come near to God, and God will come close to you, is the, come close to God, excuse me, is what I have here in, from the New Living Translation. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. The first time that I heard this verse spoken about uh, was at a retreat for pastors. Uh, a retired district superintendent had come to, to speak to us pastors about prayer, he talked about this idea that when, when we set aside time to come close to God and, and when we allow ourselves to press into God's presence, to experience God's presence in, in a real and special way, and God comes close to us, and, and God, God's presence becomes more 
more tangible, more real in our, in our experience and in our lives, that we come into a place where, where the dividing, the veil that divine, divides the, the temporal, this life from eternity, the veil that divides us from, from God becomes very thin. It becomes, it becomes so that we can experience God's presence in, in a different way. And in Christian tradition, sometimes we refer to these times as, as thin spaces. Thin spaces where, where there, there is just almost nothing. It becomes almost nothing that separates us from, from God's presence. James encourages us to draw near to God. He says, when you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. And that which separates you from the divine can almost disappear. I don't know if you've ever experienced one of those times. Sometimes we experience those on retreats. I don't know that I did on that pastor's retreat where I heard about it the first time, but I know that there have been times that I've set aside time to go away, to, to retreat, to be with God, that God's presence has been very real. Where I've pressed into God's presence, and God has been right there. Most recently, I had a season of this. In, in 2018, our family, we lived through, Alyssa and I, we lived through the tragic loss of a baby, uh, all that happened kind of in the spring, and in as as the new year was hitting, as 2018 was coming around, I I and maybe a little bit before that, I, I just had this strange draw. Um, this is God's grace working in my life. I had this strange draw to learn more about prayer and to pray and to meditate and to experience God's presence. And, and I just, I was a missionary, so you would think that I, I should have it all figured out, right? I was a missionary, so I had it all figured out. I knew everything there was to know about prayer. So, but I, for some reason, for some reason, you know, how many, how, I, I don't think this is coincidental, but, but for some reason, I just felt this draw to learn more about, about experiencing God's presence, and, and I began to read, and I, I began to practice, and I began to, to have, have this season where, where God's presence became real, more real to me, um, where, I, where I came to God, and God drew near to me. And, and then we, we had a really scary ultrasound. And, and then we had like a bunch more scary ultrasounds and doctor's appointments. And then we had a really frustrating end to all of that when our baby died. And it just wasn't as it should have been. It wasn't, we, we don't have any answers. Um, but, but by God's grace, because, because he had been preparing me beforehand, I, I was able to experience every breath, every breath that I took, and occasionally I would just have to stop and breathe. Every breath that I took, I, I, 
became God's sustaining presence in my life. It, it, I'm, I'm a pretty academic guy, right? You, you're aware of that. And, and so I went to studying God's presence, and I went to studying prayer. And all of a sudden, because, because I was thrust into to trying to survive a loss that I, I never anticipated, uh, all of a sudden it was no longer, it was no longer academic it was no longer, isn't this interesting that when I breathe in, God's presence can be, can be felt and experienced. It, it was that I needed every breath to be God's sustaining presence in my life. And because I was, I was ready to accept it and, and there to receive it, it was. <laughs> God brought us through. My I told everybody before, before we lost our baby as we were going through all of the doctor's appointments, I said, God's going to work a miracle. E- either God's going to work a miracle and, our, and we're going to be holding a perfect little baby or God's going to work a miracle and it's going to be okay. And God worked the second miracle and it's okay. But it's okay because he sustained us and, and walked with us through it. It's okay because with every breath that we took, he was present with us. And so sometimes God's presence and our ability to pray in the Spirit, um, our ability to pray in the Spirit comes because we, we seek God's presence and we, and we enter into his presence because, because we recognize our desire and a need and, and a want to, to get into God's presence. And, and we fulfill, we experience what James talked about in James 4. We come close to him, he comes close to us. There's another passage in scripture that gives me a lot of hope for prayer in the spirit as well, which comes from Romans 8. In Romans 8, Paul is talking all about life in the spirit, right? Those who who are in the spirit versus those who are in the flesh. And and he talks a lot about what it looks like to to live in the spirit in the first 12 verses of of Romans 8. And then he, he talks about creation's groaning. He talks about uh, the the life in the spirit, and then he he goes in verse twenty six. He's talking about the Holy Spirit at work in us, and and he uses prayer as an example. And it's interesting that he uses prayer as an example, isn't it? Uh, he uses prayer as an example in Romans eight twenty six. He says, "And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know." what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. I believe that this is a recipe for prayer in the Spirit for us. It is a recipe for prayer in the Spirit because we prayer in the Spirit is often without words. And, and we allow the Spirit to pray. I don't know how many times I've been called on to pray when I don't know what to pray. And so I've said, Lord, I need, I need you to pray. <laughs> I need you to pray. And, and when Paul says with groanings that, that can't be expressed in words, I, I don't think he's calling on us to, to groan or moan or make any noise really at all. I, he, he doesn't need anything from us. 
The Spirit needs us to get out of the way. To get out of the way and to, to let the Spirit intercede on our behalf. Among those in the church who have explored the, the limits of human ability to pray and, and the Spirit's willingness to pray in us and through us, there, there is, they, they talk about prayer that reaches beyond words. Prayer that reaches beyond words. There, there is prayer that is wordy, right? A lot of our prayer is wordy. We pray, we, we, we do what is, is told to us to do. You know, in, in Philippians 4, uh, let your request be made known to God. Uh, pray. And, and we are told to pray. We are told to, to pray about the things that are happening in our lives. We're told to use wordy prayer in Scripture. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them words to pray, right? So wordy prayer is, is completely valid. But it, as uh, the, the more contemplative part of our faith, as we, as we grow in our ability to, to understand uh, the more contemplative part of our, of our faith and, and allow our, our spiritual life to, to explore more the, our ability to let the Spirit pray through us, Many have experienced this idea of, of prayer that goes beyond words. Prayer, prayer that is, is in the Spirit. Prayer that, that allows the Spirit to, to work in us in, in ways that we can't express in words. You have, you have experienced this, by the way. Whether you realize it or not, you've asked God to show you a direction. And God, without, without saying, go that way, Right? Without, without an audible voice, the Lord has given you a sense in your heart, this is the right thing to do. Uh, you have experienced prayer beyond words. You have experienced God speaking to you through, through moments when you've said, I can't explain it, I know I'm supposed to talk to that person. I can't explain it, I know I'm supposed to give to that cause. I can't explain it, I know that that's where I'm supposed to go to school. You, you have experienced prayer beyond words. You've experienced the Spirit working through you and, and speaking to you without words. I, I believe that, that the Spirit is wanting us to, to open our hearts so that we can experience Him in that way more frequently and, and that we would put ourselves in the position of listening to the Spirit, put ourselves in the, the position of, of allowing the Spirit to to direct our inclination. This looks a lot like, like meditation. It can be meditation. Scripture talks a lot about meditating in God's presence and in God's word. Uh, we, we are called to, to meditate as, as believers. And then when we look at the example of Jesus' prayer life, you, you have to believe that Jesus was praying on a level that was not particularly wordy with his father. He got away early in the morning to be alone with his father. And maybe Jesus was going through his laundry list, right? Jesus probably needed to pray every day for patience with Peter. Jesus, Jesus was praying, Lord, I don't know about Judas, keep an eye on him, right? But, but Jesus says, I don't say anything that I haven't heard my heavenly father say. He says, I don't do anything that's not my Heavenly Father's will. And, and 
maybe Jesus had a connection with, with God the Father that was so, that he audibly heard God's voice tell him every word he should say. But I think as in, in virtue of his humanity, Jesus was responding to, to the Spirit's guidance in his life. That Jesus, Jesus heard through the Spirit what he was to say. And it didn't come in words, it came in, his, in the inclinations. He heard what to do because, because he felt in his heart what to do. And God was guiding him. And so, uh, Jesus sought to hear from the Father. Now, getting back into Ephesians 6, uh, he, he says, pray in the Spirit at all times. Pray in the Spirit at all times. And he says, on every occasion. Our prayer is to be ongoing. Our prayer is to be ongoing. It, it's not just a matter of, of praying once in a while, but at all times and on every occasion. Some translations say with every petition, meaning everything we pray about, we're supposed to be praying in the Spirit. We're supposed to be praying this, this deep connection with God. We're supposed to tap into our deep connection with God and pray in the Spirit about everything that we pray about. It's supposed to be in prayer in the Spirit. And, and Paul, maybe more than just simply saying that we're supposed to be praying a lot, he's, he's saying that we need to, to be praying always in the Spirit, that, that our, spirit, our prayer in the Spirit is what really, really will help us to stand firm. Don't just pray wordy prayers all the time. Pray Romans 8. Pray, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Let your Spirit pray through me. Let your Spirit guide me. Let your Spirit express what I ought to pray. And, and he continues on in the rest of verse 18. He says, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. Okay, stay alert. Stay alert and be persistent. Again, this relates back to the, to the armor of God, doesn't it? Where at the beginning of the armor of God, he goes on and on talking about standing firm, doesn't he? says, stand firm, and once you've done everything you can, to do, you can do to stand firm, stand firm. And, and keep standing firm, by the way. And so he says here, be alert, stay persistent. You can also almost hear the words of Jesus to the disciples in the garden, right? On the night that Jesus was arrested, right before he was arrested, he took his disciples to the garden to pray. And, and what does he say to his disciples? He says, watch and pray. Stay awake and pray. Be alert and pray. When, when he goes back and finds that his disciples had fallen asleep, he said, can't you just stay awake for an hour? Just an hour and pray. Just stay and pray. Be awake. Be alert and pray. There is throughout scripture this connection between watchfulness and prayer. That, that our staying alert, our being attentive of what the situation really is, Who's our enemy? Remember, he, he's just defined who our enemy is. Being alert, being aware, and prayer, they go hand in hand. We have insight and wisdom when we, when we are alert in prayer and persistent in prayer. And then he says, for all believers everywhere, we all need prayer. Uh, I'd 
I touch on the story of Jesus in the garden. Why is he asking them to, to stay alert and pray? Because Jesus himself wants his disciples to pray for him. If Jesus himself wanted his brothers to pray for him, you also need your brothers and sisters to pray for you. You also, you, you need to never be embarrassed to ask for prayer. You need to ask for prayer and, and remind your brothers and sisters to pray for you. But the command in, in Ephesians 6 is pray for all the believers everywhere. So we are called to pray for all of the believers everywhere. One of, one of my uh, favorite people at our seminary, at Asbury Seminary, while I was attending there, was Dr. Ellsworth Callis. He was a preaching professor, and Ellsworth, he sounds like he's 100 years old, right? He was. And uh, he, was, he was just the sweetest man in the world, an amazing preacher. He was a preaching professor, and he's the kind of guy you wish I had taken more classes from. So he was a great, great preacher. And Dr. Callis, he was, the seminary went through some turmoil. And so they looked to the wisest person they could find to be the president for the interim. And the wisest person they could find was Ellsworth Callis. And so Dr. Callis was, was asked to be the president. And the, the biggest benefit of all of that to me was it meant that once a week, Dr. Callis started preaching in, in, our, in our seminary chapel. And so he preached once a week for, for, I think, the entire year that we lived there. And probably before that, he was preaching while I was there as, as a bachelor. And Dr. Callis, in one of his sermons, I'll, I'll never forget, he talked about how he had been a pastor and he had had lots of people praying for him. And then he went to teach at a seminary and he had lots of people praying for him. And he had served then in, in the executive part of the, of the denomination. He had been an important leader in the denomination. He had lots of people praying for him. And then he served as a seminary president, lots of people praying for him. And, and we ought to be praying for all of those people in, in those important roles. And I thank you and I survive because of your prayers for me. Thank you. But he recognized that he received all of these prayers, and, and here he was, a person who, who was pretty well discipled and, and was, was kind of like, you know, was, was an adult Christian, had, had made it through Christianity 101, and he was, he was continuing on. And he realized, you know, I receive a lot of prayers. And so he decided that he would be the prayer warrior for the person who didn't have a prayer warrior. And he would look around him for the people that didn't have anyone praying for them. Because we're commanded to pray for all the believers everywhere. And so he, he would pass a homeless person on the street and he would pray for them. If he had time, he would stop and ask them, Man, I want to pray for you. Can I, how can I pray for you? He, he would, he would uh, see a a single mom in his congregation that didn't have a lot of support, he would make sure that he prayed for her. He, he looked for those who didn't have anyone praying for them, and, and he attempted to, to fulfill the command to pray for all of the believers everywhere. And so uh, we, are, we are called to, 
to pray for all the believers everywhere. When, when we pray for one another, let's pray for one another. When somebody asks us for prayer, I try to do this and I fail sometimes, but I succeed sometimes. When somebody asks me for prayer, I try to not just say, I'll pray for you. I try to stop right then and pray for the person. Uh, that seems to be, to be an effective way to remember to pray for somebody. If we don't let any time pass and we pray for them right in the instance when they're asking for prayer. Paul tells us to, to pray also for him. In verse 19, he, he switches gears a little bit. He says, pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Paul, Paul's request is for the right words, right? And so as we pray for, for all the believers everywhere, we ought to be praying that all the believers everywhere would be a good witness, would, would be able to, to live in the grace of the Lord so that other people would see it in their lives and that they would have the words to speak, that they would be able to express the truth of the good news to those that they come into contact with. Paul says, pray that I would have the right words. And, and he continues on talking about his own situation in verse 20. He says, I'm in chains now, still preaching this message. As God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Paul, in, in every circumstance he found himself in, even as a prisoner in chains, he wanted the boldness to speak the truth of the gospel, to speak about God's amazing work in Jesus. And so he gives us this incredible example, regardless of our situation, regardless of the consequence, we, we speak boldly the truth about Jesus. You know, by, by, to, to wrap up the sermon series, to make sure, I'm going to come back to this idea of praying in the Spirit, and we're going to practice it. But I want to just look at the last few verses here. The, in verses 20, um, 21 and 22, Paul, Paul talks about sending uh, this brother Tychicus. And he recommends him. This is just an interesting reminder. I think it's important when, when we see historical information like this to, to just pause and remember this was a letter written from Paul in prison. He was probably under house arrest when he wrote this uh, late in his, in his ministerial life. He, he, was, he was in Rome probably... Uh, probably under house arrest, probably had guards around him. And he, he wrote this letter. And, and we know, we understand that he has people around him, other believers around him, people who are willing to kind of do his bidding, people who are willing to work with him and help him. And, and he talks about Tychicus, this guy, he's a faithful helper in the, and, and a good, good brother in, in spreading the gospel. And so he sends Tychicus to Ephesus. And, and it's interesting, isn't it, that there's, there is an actual person that took this letter, the, the very first copy of this letter, took it in his hand and, and delivered it to the church in Ephesus. And, and it reminds us that it's not, it's not fiction. <laughs> These are actual people. This, is, this actually happened 
about 2,000 years ago, just, just under 2,000 years ago, Paul was, was in a house in Rome under arrest. Paul was writing letters. Paul was, was, had brothers that were praying for him, praying that he would speak boldly. And, and we're the beneficiaries of it today. That's pretty cool to me. And then the last verses, verses 23 and 24, Paul pronounces a blessing. He prays for God's peace and God's grace to cover over and come to all the brothers and sisters in Ephesus. And his, his words are his best wishes for them, right? His best wishes. May God bless you. May, may God uh, be with you. Grace and peace to you, he says. As we, as we consider these final words of Paul, I want to just backtrack a little bit. And I spent all morning, all of my time this morning in verse 18, talking about this idea of praying in the Spirit. Uh, and, and I've already made the tie, but I want to just go back at it one more time and, and remind you that this is the armor of God that, that Paul is talking about. Paul, Paul is, is reminding the believers at the beginning of the armor of God, he, he says, be strong, stand firm. Put on all of this armor so that you can stand firm. And he, he gives us all of these defensive pieces of armor, right? The breastplate and the helmet, the belt, the shoes, the shield. Take up the sword, he says, which is the word of God. And, and he, all of this, all of this is so that we would stand firm in the battle. We'd stand firm in the battle and that we would, we would make it to the end that we would survive the battle, that we would come out. It's interesting to consider that Paul, Paul gives us this armor. He tells us to stand firm in a battle when all through the New Testament we understand that hasn't the battle already been won? Haven't, hasn't Jesus already won victory over our enemy? Hasn't Jesus, didn't Jesus defeat death and sin when he walked out of the grave? And so, Paul says, stand firm. It, it, uh, it's one of those times when mountain climbing is a perfect, perfect example of the Christian life. Jesus has taken us to the summit. He said, mission accomplished. We, got, we, we have defeated the enemy. We have won. We realize that we still have to make it home. We still have to make it home. And the trip home can be treacherous. The enemy has been defeated, but he's wounded and he's still out on the battlefield. And so we need to put on every piece of armor so that we can stand firm. As some of us are, are doing our best to stand firm. We've hunkered down. We've, we've found a place where we feel pretty good and we're, we're standing pretty firm. But this morning I would guess that there are also those who have put on the breastplate and have the helmet, taken up the sword, put on the shoes, and your feet are still slipping. You know you're supposed to stand firm, but you can just feel the torrent of the enemy against you, and you feel like you're going to be swept away. You're fighting for all you're worth to stand firm. This morning, Paul says, 
Stand firm. Pray in the Spirit. Pray at all times. Pray always. Pray on every occasion. And stand firm. Remember that it's, it's not your peace that it makes up your shoes. It's God's peace. Remember, it's not your sword. It's the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. It's not your helmet. It's the helmet of salvation. And when you pray, when you come to God, pray in the Spirit. When you don't know how to pray, the Spirit will pray through you with groans and utterances that you can't even understand, that can't be expressed in words. And so stand firm. I'd like, to, I'd like to practice praying in the Spirit with you. Um, and so I'm going to just give us a couple of minutes. We have time. I'm just going to guide you for a couple of minutes in prayer in the, in the Spirit. So I'd encourage you to, to sit square, both feet on the ground, hands in your lap, head bowed, to take a deep breath, in through your nose, out through your mouth. Remember that when God wanted to create Adam into a living being, he breathed his life into him. God's presence that is nearer than your very breath will breathe through you. His spirit is at work in you, is all around you. And so this morning, let's, let's obey Paul's command to pray for all the believers everywhere. I'd encourage you to consider someone who's on your list to pray for that you would picture that person. As you continue to breathe, that you would see that person through God's eyes. You would see how much God loves that person. Most likely that person is on your list because they have some special need. Without telling God what the need is, I just, by the power of the Spirit, picture God providing for that need, healing that person, touching that person. Feel in your own heart God's love for that person. See how God's grace and mercy would be at work in his or her life. Thank God for that person. Our Heavenly Father, we do love you and we thank you for your presence that is with us. Nearer than our very breath, God, you are at work in us. When we don't know how to pray, your spirit intercedes on our behalf. As we draw near to you, God, you draw near to us. Give us a thirst, Lord, and a hunger to come to your presence.
to experience your, your spirit and to pray in the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord, to draw near to you. Thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here this morning, God. I pray that you, you would guide them and direct them. I pray that you would protect them from the enemy of our soul. Would seek to make truth sound wrong and the lie sound right. Pray that they would stand firm they would stand firm in the confidence they have in you. That they would persist. That they would tenaciously hold on to you in prayer, God. Experiencing your presence. Living in the newness of your life, Lord. The life that you give us. And we pray these things and thank you. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit, God our Father. Amen. Amen. That was a short experience. I hope that you'll, you'll take time and pray in the Spirit. Will you stand and let me release you and dismiss you with the words of Paul, his benediction to the Ephesians. He says, Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. You are dismissed.